Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. It's the uh, Collision of Faith and Politics with the Ninja Pastor. It's August 10th, a Wednesday, and I'm going to be talking about faith in the trial and storm. And as my daughter Lily reminded me via a quote about Alexander Hamilton's battlefield prowess, we are ubiquitous on the battlefield. Folks, we have got to be ubiquitous on the battlefield. We've got to be strong. We've got to be everywhere. We can't be quitting. We've got to be fired up and ready for the fight. We can't be sitting back waiting for things, good things to happen. While bad things are happening, while troubling times are upon us, we must, we absolutely must be unrelenting. We must be unrelenting in our faith, unhesitant in our faith. We must be unmoved. We must decide, we must resolve, and we must stand exactly what we must do. One thing to believe in God when things are going well, but quite another to say from a place of great suffering, though he slay me yet, I will trust in him. That's Job, the book of Job 13, 15, actually the first written book of the Bible. It is one thing to regard divine favor in the absence of pain and quite another to affirm in the fire, Jehovah. This is also for my salvation. That's the thing. When we're in the trial, when we're in the pain, we have got to get in and get after it. We cannot quit. Look, this is a this is a, a painful and trying time in America. Listen, August 6th came and went. Most of you don't really, you're not impacted by it. But I know 30-some families who are impacted by it because that's when uh, Extortion 17 was shot down. And all across America, Gold Star families grieved. They struggled. They tried to figure out what in the world. Still, four years after, we still have lies, lies, and lies coming from this administration, coming from the military. It's tragic. It's, it's awful. But the fact of the matter is that's how it is. This is indeed a time pain in America. The entire world, really, it's not just America. It's the entire world is in a state of complete upheaval. And some folks see it, you know, some folks see it and, and some don't. Some see it, some don't. Some, listen, I'll tell you what, many don't want to see it. And therefore, they ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. Now we are in the most important time of my lifetime. And probably yours too. Now we are in the most important time of our children's lifetime. By the way, I'm broadcasting in high definition for the first time. 
So I hope that you like it. I'm, I'm glad that it's coming in clear. Thank you to chat. Folks, chat is, is wide open. Get in there and get after it. Look, we the people must find not a way, but the way to get to the heart of the problems in America and in the world and fix them. Our lives are on the line. Freedom's on the line. Many claim to be Christians, but they, they take stances entirely and completely opposite of their faith while offering a litany of reasons as to why they're voting for Hillary Clinton in lieu of Donald Trump. I expose the fraud on both sides of the arguments. Listen, I know a lot of good friends who are Christians, good people, good, solid patriots who are not going to vote for Donald Trump. They're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton, but they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. And uh, I'm just going to tell you that to me, that is voting for Hillary Clinton. But I understand everybody's got to vote their conscience, and I respect that. I don't like it, but I respect it. The fact of the matter is this is a place of freedom here. This is, this is where freedom can be heard. I, I, I want to tell you just really quickly, a lot of people uh, were new. Listen, last week, by the way, over 800,000 downloads all the different places that you can, uh, all the different places that you can listen to uh, what I do. Um, you know, this is, it's over 800,000. It's really, I'm, I'm humbled by that. We had a great guest last week. Uh, this is not a, a guest. Um, it's not a real guest specific um, show. We just, we don't, uh, we don't have a ton of guests on here, but we were so fortunate to have Dr. Sebastian Gorka on. And uh, I think you'll agree. He was, he was absolutely stellar and uh, he had to go kind of quick. I'm going to explain something really quickly because uh, I felt like uh, some folks were a, a little bit surprised that uh, he went so quickly. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit. Uh, one of our callers is already or one of our, our great listeners has already said, look, I don't respect the fact that people have chosen to not vote for Trump and thereby given it's, I don't respect it. I disrespect it. God has given us two people to choose between not making a choice has horrendous consequences. Amen. Amen. Absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And see, here's the thing. Look, I, I have a huge struggle with it too, um, but I'm not going to push anybody around. I'm not going to you know, today you'll hear a lot of what I believe about it. You know, I'm not on the, the Trump uh, bandwagon, but he's our nominee. And Mike Pence is a good man. And but neither of them are perfect. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz wasn't perfect. Any of the other people running weren't perfect. But the fact of the matter is we know that Hillary Clinton is straight up evil. We know that people all around the Clinton family die. The Clinton machine die. We know that Hillary Clinton um, has. Uh, by the way, welcome to the new folks in chat. Welcome, Steve. Great to have you on. It's an honor. Um, we're we're privileged to have you on with us today. One of the best teachers in this state um, and a f f fine musician. You can hear him play. Hey, hey, Bonnie. Great doctor. Great to have you. Um, There's some folks that come to our Kehala and, and lead in the, the singing and the worship. It's awesome. And uh, so here's the bottom line. You know, I would like Donald Trump to stop talking about Ted Cruz. He's not the nominee. Uh, it's, it's over with from that regard. Um, you know, I was a hard crew, hardcore cruise guy, but Trump is our nominee. That's how it works here. That's how it works. You know, it's just reality. And some folks, they don't like it. They don't like it, but you know what? That's reality. And we've got to deal with it. Listen, I want to uh, give, share a piece of uh, news with you that, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Not one bit. 
Um, you all have heard about the Lebanese Olympic uh, delegation refusing to allow the Israeli delegation to board the same bus. Here's the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the truth with you so you know what actually happened, okay? And um, amen. Jerry from Pennsylvania says, Hillary is death to America. We're going to talk more about that today. He read my mind. Lebanese Olympics team, this is Ynet reporters, Lebanese Olympics team stop, stops Israelis from boarding shared bus. Sailor Udigal, a member of Israel's Olympics delegation, says members of the Le Lebanese delegation refused to let the Israelis ride the bus with them to Maracana Stadium, you know, the place where they forgot they lost the keys and had to cut the, cut the gates, uh, cut the chains on the gates, where the opening ceremony was to take place. Uh, the Rio 2016 Olympic Games began on a sour note for the Israeli delegation, but not one relating to actual competition. When the delegation was ready to board the bus to the Maracana Stadium in the Brazilian city, they were physically prevented from doing so by the Lebanese delegation already aboard, according to Israeli sailor Udigal. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Whatever Putz was trying to put be some sort of... Um, I don't know, healer of nations and trying to put uh, Lebanon and Israel on the same bus. Uh, no, thanks. Then you're, you're an idiot and you should lose your job today. That's the bottom line. You should lose your job. Or if you're doing it on purpose to try to bring people together through sport, one of the people has never harmed the other. And the other has spent decades trying to kill the other, trying to erase the other from the face of the earth, not secretly, but, but openly, I'll let you decide which one. So back to this. The 2016 Olympics, a disgrace, wrote Gall in a Facebook post. When Israel's Olympic delegation got ready to board the bus for the opening ceremony, it turned out the bus was shared with the Lebanese delegation. Once the members of the Lebanese delegation realized they were sharing the bus with the Israeli delegation, they asked the driver to close the door with their delegation leader heading the effort. Gall claimed that the organizers tried to calm things down. The organizers tried to split us up to different buses, something which was not possible security and representation-wise. Oh, no. An Arkansas deputy, police deputy. I just got a message, an urgent message here. A uh, police deputy has been shot and killed. God, pray for that family. Man, blue lives matter. I'm telling you what. They are, they are under attack in America. We'll talk more about that in a minute. This just happened. Just came over the Just came over the wire. Uh, I insisted and and we insisted that we get on the intended bus. And if the Lebanese don't want to ride with us, they're welcome to get off the bus. The bus driver opened the door, but this time the head of the Lebanese delegation blocked the entrance with his body. The organizers tried to prevent an international incident and sent us aside to a special vehicle. By the way, welcome again to the folks joining us in chat. Gal was, Gal was surprised the organizers gave in to the pressure, writing, how is it that they let something like this happen on the opening night of the Olympic Games? Isn't this the opposite of what the Olympics represent? And don't the actions by the Lebanese delegation work against it? I cannot describe the way I feel. I'm enraged and shocked by this event. Lebanese delegation, well, first of all, I, I know that he, he had to say this. Welcome, Andrea Shea King. Talk about a great radio show, Andrea Shea King. She has she has got a phenomenal show. Um, let me just say this: you know, he had to say for political correctness that he's in, enraged and shocked, but he may be enraged, but he's not shocked. First of all, from many different levels, I'm going to say this: um, he, he this should have never happened because it should have never been allowed to happen. First and foremost, anybody with half a brain knows you don't put 
uh, any sort of Muslims on the bus with Israelis. Now, the Israelis were intended to be on the bus. Uh, they were given a later time to uh, get on the bus. And so uh, there's the article goes on to talk about, uh, well, I'll just read it to you because you, you won't believe it either. Lebanese delegation head Salim Al-Hajj Nakula gave the Lebanese press his version of the story on Saturday, which, as you know, is a lie. In an interview given to the An Nahar newspaper, Nakula claimed that each delegation was to have its own bus. There were over 250 buses dedicated to transporting the delegations from the Olympic Village to the opening ceremony. After we boarded Bus 22, which was dedicated to the Lebanese delegation, I was surprised by the Israelis' delegation, delegations approaching and wanting to get on the bus with us. He said, first of all, you're a liar. You're an absolute liar. Um, that's not how it works. That is uh, absolutely not how it works. And the Olympics people have uh, all clarified and confirmed that that didn't happen. I asked the driver to shut the door, but the guide who was there with the Israeli delegation, first of all, how stupid is it? Well, we just poor Israelis just want to find a way to get on the bus with our Lebanese brothers. Uh, no. I asked the driver to shut the door, but the guide who was there with the Israeli delegation prevented him from doing so. I had to stand at the entrance of the bus to block it to prevent the Israeli delegation from coming in. In other words, those nasty Jews, I don't even want to have to touch them. They're so dirty. We, you know, wonderful Lebanese Muslims, you know, this is the trans. I'm giving you the translation here. Uh, we don't want to soil our hands with them. He claimed that the Israelis were trying to cause an incident on purpose. Of course, of course. They have a bus of their own like all delegations. Why did they want to get on a Lebanese delegation's bus, he asked. Well, head of the Israeli delegation to Rio 2016 games, Gili Lustig, responded to Nakula by saying, the organizing committee was the one that determined the travel arrangements and which bus we would take to the ceremony. The organizing committee saw the rude behavior of the Lebanese delegation head and immediately provided an alternate bus. The behavior of the Lebanese delegation head is in conflict with the Olympic truce. As far as we are concerned, the whole thing is behind us and we're ready for the competitions. Lustig mentioned, Lustig mentioned that the organizing committee apologized for the incident. They pointed us at the bus with 10 Lebanese people in it. It was an unwise decision from the start, and it's too bad they didn't think of that before. This kind of incident could have been prevented. We certainly don't believe in boycotts. The committee's people tried to talk to the Lebanese, who refused to accept us. It should be said that the buses were joint. They'd fill a bus and move on. They asked that we not make a scene ahead of the opening uh, ceremony. Now, if that's not enough, just to show you only Allah fans are allowed, Jerry from PA says... Lebanese Minister of Youth and Sport Abdel Motoleb Hanawi told the Lebanese news site that this was not the first time Israel has attempted to embarrass a Lebanese delegation in this kind of circumstance. Oh, okay. He praised the delegation's behavior, Nakula's specifically. His stance was principled and patriotic, he said. Well, amen. Let me just do a golf clap for you. Nakula became the hero of the day in Lebanon after the incident was publicized. The Al-Mayadeen and Al-Manar news networks, both associated with Hezbollah, you know, the very same ones who take money spent uh, given for food and medical care and schools and buildings and uh, building repairs, all these different things. Instead, they bought rockets and guns and uh, grenades and bullets and dug tunnels and, you know, all this stuff. It's all about killing people. Meanwhile, their people are starving, with the latter also interviewing him. 
Hezbollah supporters and officials praised him on social media, with one Al-Manar broadcaster tweeting, the Israelis were sent away from the bus because normalization with Israel is not to be had in any form, and because the Lebanese identity is that of resistance. Be proud to be Lebanese. Well, you should be proud, you bunch of idiots. You bunch of, of just smelly, smelly idiots. The fact of the matter is, is the class of the Israelis far exceeds any of the Lebanese. And I'm telling you this right now, the Lebanese and, and, and the, the Muslim community that, that they represent, Hezbollah and otherwise, they're murderers. They're absolute murderers. By the way, who, who murdered all the Israelis? Um, someone looked this up. Who murdered all the Israelis in, uh, uh, when, when in the Munich, uh, the, the Munich Olympic, remember that, remember that 72, I think it was, I can't remember who it was. Um, but, uh, yes, same bunch though. Now, before I talk about this debacle anymore, I want to clear up another debacle first. And I've been fried. Folks have been saying lots of lots of not-so-friendly stuff on Twitter uh, and other places about me. And that's okay. They tell me I don't know how it works. Um, I, I did a post where I simply stated what I feel is the truth. Uh, saber fencer Ibtihaj Muhammad, she's an American Muslim woman athlete, She's the famous for wearing the hijab in the fencing team. She says she doesn't feel safe in America, by the way. This is the same girl, woman, Muslim, who she, she wanted to carry the American flag into the Olympic Stadium instead of the winningest gold medalist in history, who happens to be American Michael Phelps. Um, she felt, and others felt, including your president, Barack Hussein Obama, felt, hey, you know who should carry the flag to show that we're an open society and that we're not bigoted in any way? I know who. Our friend, because she is their friend, Ibtihaj Muhammad. Now, who is she? She's an American saber fencer. It's a saber. Ironically, I know. I, isn't it funny? Isn't it strange that she chose the saber? Now, she's a Muslim. You get that, right? Not lost on anybody? Anybody? Am I still tracking? Get it? She's a saber fencer. She's not just a fencer. She's a saber fencer. You're right, Jerry. They love knives. Saber fencer. She's a member of the United States fencing team. She's best known for being the first Muslim American woman to compete in the United States Olympic team wearing a hijab. And she won the first qualifying round. She's uh, 30 years old. She's from Maplewood, New Jersey. She's 5'7". Her siblings are Qarib Muhammad, Faiza Muhammad, Denise Muhammad, Eugene Muhammad are her parents. And oh, by the way, this poor, poor Muslim, she uh, graduated from Duke University uh, on scholarship with, with honors. Uh, she also went to Columbia High School. Now, uh, she got her butt whooped in uh, the round of 16 by Cecilia Berrer, uh, Berrer of France. I watched that, by the way. She was leading, actually. She was crushing Berrer, uh, and she does a lot of very... Um, they, are, they are not what we would call the, the most wise moves. They're controversial, in many respects, uh, they are not in keeping with the standard of fencing, uh, but she does them and, you know, whatever, nobody says anything about it. They just call her innovative because she is a female and she is a Muslim. 
Now, she was born and raised in, lest you think she moved over here, she was born and raised in Maplewood, New Jersey. Now, when she's interviewed, sometimes she brings on a little bit of an African Muslim accent, but she she is of African descent. Uh, in other words, she's black. Her parents were born in the United States. They weren't born somewhere else, but while in the United States, you know, growing up like normal folk, they converted to Islam because it's so good for their people. Her father, Eugene Muhammad, are you ready for this? You ready? That's a drum roll. We don't have a sound effects thing here. He is a retired Newark, New Jer by the way, armpit of the universe, Newark, New Jersey police officer. Her mother, Denise, was an elementary school special education teacher. She has four siblings. She was raised in this family with four siblings. And as a Muslim youth, Muhammad's parents were in search of a sport for her to play in which she could be fully covered. Okay. 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 By the way, I just want to say this. As to the moves that she was doing, uh, lest there be any con confusing, they were cheating maneuvers. The judges uh, were reluctant to speak to her uh, maneuvers, which had not previously been seen in fencing. She did this sort of squat down, um, duck and and stab up, parry up, I guess they would call it. I don't know. Uh, and 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 you know the 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 uh, NBC announcers were very very careful to not uh, offend her in any way, and to offend Muslims in any way. Why? Not because we don't want to offend them because they're so nice. It's because they cut heads off. They kill people. They throw gay people off of uh, off of buildings. They they do a lot of bad stuff. Let's just let's just say if you listen to the show for ten minutes, you know they do bad stuff. So anyway, she attended Columbia High School. It's a public high school in Maplewood. She graduated in 2003. And then uh, when she was there at age 13, she joined a fencing team. And uh, Frank Mustilli, uh, he's now the head and owner of New Jersey Fencing Alliance. He had her switch to uh, switch her weapons from the epee to the saber. I don't know why. Um, she's a little bit of a beefy girl. Uh, she's a little thick, so I don't know if that's it. Nothing against that. You know, hey, come on now. Um, she, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they did that. But in late 2002, Muhammad joined the prestigious Paul Westerbrook Foundation, a program that utilizes the sport of fencing as a vehicle to develop life skills in young people from underserved communities. Now, I'm going to remind you. Let's go back. She was a child of two parents. Amen. Hand clap. Doesn't happen that often in, in, in the black community. In fact, 72% of all black community homes, especially in cities like Newark, New Jersey, do not have two working parents. In fact, they do not have two parents at all. So let's be fair. Let's be honest. And let's just say that, uh, wow, poor underserved person. Her dad was a retired Newark, New Jersey police officer, and his pension was probably somewhere, judging from what they made um, around that time and how the pension goes up, probably making in retirement somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy-two to $85,000 a year in retirement. Elementary school special education teacher in New Jersey, likely at the lowest end of the salary range between seventy-four dollars and $89,000. You're welcome. 
So the Paul Peter Westerbrook Foundation, this is, you know, hey, let's use fencing. Let's help these poor young people from underserved communities. I don't know how she got in there, just like Barack Obama. I don't know quite how he got in as a poor underserved black guy when, in fact, he was biracial and had an elite education all throughout. But that's another story. So she was invited to train under this Westbrook Foundation's elite athlete program in New York City. Poor, poor kid. Uh, she was coached by former um, Paul Westerbrook Foundation student and 2000 Sydney Olympian Aki Spencer El, also, by the way, a Muslim. Muhammad attended Duke University, and she received an academic scholarship there, as I said. She was a three-time All-American and 2005 Junior Olympic champion. Well, good for her. She graduated from Duke University in 2007 with an International Relations and African Studies double major. Hmm. Now, remember what I said a while back about Islam being a religious, political, and military ideology. You guys remember that? You guys remember that? I know you do. So, yeah, that's real. That happened. So here we go. So she goes and she studies international relations and African studies as a double major on scholarship from Duke University. So she's been a member of the United States National Fencing Team since 2010. Uh, she, as of 2016, ranks number two in the United States, number eight in the world. She's a five-time senior world medalist, including 2014 world champion in the team event. Now, she fell short of winning in, um, in Rio de Janeiro because she was defeated by Berder of France. Um, she, she had a huge lead. Let me just say this. She had a gigantic lead. Uh, it, it was, it was really ridiculous. The lead she had. And then she just, she squandered it. It was brutal to watch her squander this mistake after mistake, after mistake, after mistake. Berdere just ate her lunch, just took her to school. So she, she schooled her, and, but, but even though she lost, she gets all of this media attention, right? Now, she may be doing some good things. She launched this, uh, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to give her, give her any business, but Muhammad launched her own clothing line in 2014. She wanted to bring modest, fashionable clothing to the United States market. She's also, now I know this is going to surprise you. I know you're going to be like, what? No way. And I'm going to say way. And you're going to go, no way. And I'm going to say way. And then I'm going to tell you this. She also is a sports ambassador serving on the United States Department of States. In other words, state departments, empowering women and girls through sport initiatives. Yes, you heard me correctly. She's traveled to various countries to engage in dialogue on the importance of sports and education. The irony is, is that this friend of Hussein Obama's, where is she? She's in the safest place in the world for her as a woman, as a Muslim woman. If she was in fact in a Muslim country, she'd be in danger constantly. Well, she's afraid in America. She responded to Donald Trump. Um, you know, that, uh, that she has no place to go. You know that, right? It's been this whole big dialogue. You guys know that, right? Yeah, there's been the whole back and forth. She's been very vocal. Very vocal about her opposition to Donald Trump. And isn't it something? 
She's friends of the Hussein Obama. has been to the White House many times. But she doesn't feel safe in America. Poor thing. Look, anywhere else, in a Muslim country, her life would be in danger all the time. She'd have no life. In a Muslim country, she'd be less than nothing. She wouldn't even be able to be an Olympic athlete. She could be beaten and killed and mutilated at the whim of any Muslim man at any time. Safe? Is that safe? You're telling me you don't feel safe, Cheeky Poo? I'm a little confused what you call safe. You keep using this word. I don't know. I don't think you know what it means. If she was somehow representing a Muslim country in the Olympics, do you think they would ever consider having her carry the torch instead of a man, any man, particularly a man who was an athlete worldwide who won more awards than anybody else in the world? Are you insane? Yes. Yes, America. We're insane. We're absolutely insane. Like, why are we even having this conversation is what I want to know. Why? Why are we having this conversation? Why is this something that, that, that even doesn't get laughed out, uh, just, just summarily dismissed? Why is that? Somebody tell me. Nobody seems to know. We're having this conversation. She's not being summarily dismissed. Because the religious, political, and military ideology, RPM, has been successful. Now, let me go back to this. I know I jump around. Um, I, I, don't, I, I mean to do it, and I don't mean to do it, but there's a reason for it. Regarding the Lebanese bus incident, look, the truly appalling aspect of this is the lack of any concern for the consequences internationally for their public behavior, the Lebanese. Look, they have no embarrassment. They don't have any concern for how their public offense will be regarded in the, interna the international community. They don't care about that. What do they care? Lebanese don't care. We're Muslims. They're Muslims. They don't care. They don't have to care. You know why? Because everybody under the sun is rushing to defend their defenseless behavior. You know, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. The, the latest thing now is even though the Muslims yelling Alu Akbar as they drive over people, yelling Alu Akbar as they're slicing heads off, yelling Alu Akbar as they're stabbing people, yelling Alu Akbar as they drive into crowded restaurants, yelling Alu Akbar as they shoot up at places. No. It's not because they're Muslim and they profess their allegiance to ISIS, the Islamic State. No, it's because they're mentally ill. Yes. And guns. I mean, it's guns' fault, even when they use a truck or a, a knife or a car. Look, they're proud. They're, they're, they, look, we're not proud of our religious way, but they're certainly proud of their religious bigotry. And they're daring the world to say they're wrong. Go ahead and say it, wimps. Look, I get 26,000 emails a week on average. After last week's show, I got a little bit more than that. But I'm going to tell you something. Of that 20, I get people, a very few, maybe, I don't know, maybe 500 that are Muslims 
that that say I'm a bigot, I'm anti-Muslim, which I very very quickly advise them. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for asking. You know that's good. You know, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you recognize that. I'm not ashamed of that. Not at all. But they, unlike us, you know, it's it's no longer cool to be proud to be a Christian. It's no longer cool to be proud to be a Jew. Can't be a Jew. I'm very. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but I'm. I'm. I, I drive along the the uh, Hebrew worldview road. Everything I do is from a Hebrew worldview perspective. Hello to Wes and Charlotte and Dr. Moen and all our other friends over in Israel right now, by the way. I know you're enjoying yourself. Well, right now you're probably asleep. Look, they're, they're proud of their religion. The Muslims, they, go ahead and say they're wrong. They're just going to say you're a bigot. And when they get tired of that, they're just going to say, we're coming for you too. They, they think they're principled and patriotic that they've told the world this proudly. We kicked them off the bus. We showed, we won. We, with those dumb Israelis, those dumb Jews, we're, yeah, we would have liked to have kicked them into the middle of the sea so they could die. But until then, we're going to do this. We're going to kick them off the bus. We're proud of it. Let me tell you this. If we had real news media, they'd be showing us this. They'd be talking about this. Look, the Lebanese aren't pretending to be anything. They're not acting out. They're not mental. Well, they are mentally ill. I think any, look, a friend of mine are having this discussion today. And, and what woman would ever, 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 ever convert to Islam? I want to interview some of these women, these dumb women from America that convert to Islam. What's in it for the woman? What's the woman get? Tell me again what she gets. Yeah, Israeli lives. That's right, Steve. Israeli lives don't matter. They don't matter. Jews' lives don't matter anymore in the United States because we are the most anti-Jew president and administration, his entire administration, ever in the history of this country. Ever, 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 ever. And they tell us, no, we're, we're the best to the Jews. See, that's the thing. The, the Saul Alinsky uh, thing is, you know what? Just say the lie. Just keep saying the lie. Say it louder. Say it long. They, they Eventually, people will start to believe it because they're dumb. But what woman wants to become a Muslim? What does she get out of it? She gets to get beaten. She gets to wear his job. She gets to be treated like a dog. But these Lebanese in this situation, <laughs> they're just being themselves. And I'll tell you this right now. No matter what the media didn't do, no matter what they didn't do, the world community, and I'm telling you this, the world community, by not condemning their behavior, they condone and they support it. This should have been an international incident. It absolutely should have been. It should have been. Why? Why wouldn't it have been? Why wouldn't it have been? It should be an international incident. See, we're so afraid of this. We're so afraid of this. And why? Why are we so afraid of this? These the international incidences. I, I don't understand this. Let's deal with reality, folks. There should have been an international public outcry 
Other nations should have demanded that the Lebanese be removed from competition because of their religious zealotry and their bigotry. And it should have prohibited them from even minimally respecting the spirit of the Olympics. Because you know what? Just like Muslims in America can't respect and serve the American flag, the American Constitution, they, they'll swear to it, and that's part of Takiyah. Lying for the support of Islam. That's why they do it, folks. That's why they do it. But we sit quietly. We are such soft people sometimes. I don't know why. I don't know why. Why are we such soft people? Because we've been beaten down. We've been beaten back. And all of a sudden, we think that we're bad people. We're bad people. If we stand up for ourselves, if we call it like it is, if we, we, if we completely shuck this, this facade, this absolute, utter, and complete failure for us, for truthsayers, of political correctness. That's reality, my friends. Hey, listen to this commercial. Be right back. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes in your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. Listen, you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be the second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a public, a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. 
secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20630. That's the Ninja Pastors number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You, you, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show. But there's links on there. Once you do that, or on that page, there's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back. They never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it all. Join today. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. All right, folks. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging in there. Look, if you don't have, if you if you own a gun and you don't have second call defense, get with it. Go to the ninjapastor.com, drshawngreener.com. Uh, there's a banner at the bottom that will automatically take you where you need to go. Read all about it. We'll send you a bunch of uh, free videos and uh, a PDF and all that stuff, and you'll get a month free. And then give them this number, the Ninja Pastors number, 20630. And by the way, I make 35 cents if you sign up, just so you know. Yes, I said 35 cents. Uh, join me in the Bahamas. I will be retiring there on that 35 cents. But I appreciate them doing it, so it's pretty cool. So, okay, here we go. Here we go. The fact of the matter is, Hugh Hewitt, you guys know who he is. He's a, he's a smart guy. He's a really, really smart guy. He wrote an article this week, and something that I have been uh, really going around and around. I get a lot of... Um, I get a lot of messages. People want to know, look, what sh- what should I do about this election? It's 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 so difficult for me. I just don't know what to do. By the way, we need to be praying for Ryan Bundy. Uh, he was dragged out of his cell by unknown persons, beaten uh, severely, and they do not know exactly where he is at this moment. But they say that he has. Um, hopefully this, he's still got a bullet in his arm from when the feds shot him. They haven't even taken that out yet. I, I don't know what to tell you folks. It's because they didn't have a thousand Patriots with them. They'd have never done it. They'd have never even tried it. If there was a thousand Patriots with them and that is sickening and sad, but we got to change the tide. All right. So the importance of the election, the importance of being, let's, let's get real here. You know, we got less than 90 days to go. Um, it's it's one of those things. It's a, it's a very difficult situation because people say, well, it's truly the lesser of two evils. We, um, we, we don't like having, uh, you know, this situation where we really, we're not jazzed about our, our candidate. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't like how he talks. I don't like how he relates to people. Um, I don't like anything about how he does what he does. I don't. <coughs> so sue me. I, I'm just saying I don't like it. 
I don't like how he's related to people. I don't like how, um, he, you know, he, he, it's a lot of the things that he says. I just don't like how he does it. Don't like how he said it. To me, he's not very presidential. At the same time, I think there are a lot of positives for Donald Trump. Not the least of which being the man, he says what he thinks. He gets out there and he gets after it. You got to respect that. Well, you don't have to respect it. I mean, you can if you want. You don't have to. I'm just here to tell you um, the biggest reason why I, I, I could not not vote or, God forbid, vote for Hillary Clinton is because of Hillary Clinton. Because Donald Trump is not the devil incarnate. He's not evil to his core. You can look at his life and see that there's been some good in his life. Look at his children. Extraordinary children. Extraordinary. So, um, counting the cost of a Supreme Court loss to the left. Hugh Hewitt wrote this on, on uh, August 7th. A week ago in this space, I wrote in support of Donald Trump. I gave, th I gave three reasons for voting for Trump, beginning with the most important, the fate of the United States Supreme Court. The fact is that the confirmation of even one Hillary Clinton nominee of the Supreme Court will turn the court in a hard left, almost certainly irreversible direction. You understand, by the way, that, and this, this isn't debatable, he goes on to say, but, for, for, but my premise is that this reality compels a vote for Trump turns out to be very, very debatable. Well, let me just, let me just stop there and say this. Folks, uh, here, look, we can, we can say that we're voting on principle, we're, we're voting our conscience, we can do all those things. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. I am a huge, huge fan of that. But I'm going to tell you something that's very important uh, for you, and you probably know this, and I, I don't mean to insult you if you already know this. Hillary Clinton will nominate young, healthy, ultra-hardcore left people. She will. She will. She's going to do that. You know that she's going to do it. She's going to, it's going to be a young person. And look, if we lose, if we lose the House and Senate or the Senate, we're, we are, we're well and truly screwed. Pastor said it's screwed. That's not right. By the way, it's not a reference to sex. It's a reference to screwing a, a screw into something and locking it down. Just speed. I'm just here to help. That was free, by the way. Free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. So when she when she nominates this person or people, because let me let me just let me just lay this on you. Uh, Bader Ginsburg, she gone. She got one foot in the grave and she's gone. As soon as Hillary Clinton gets elected, she gone. She out. And all the others that are on the fence, they're out. And I hate to tell you this, but the, but, but even the ones, the allegedly conservative ones, they're out. They're tired. They're done. They know, they know their life has no meaning anymore when that happens. It's an irreversible decision, as he said, and it's not debatable, as Hugh Hewitt said. 
Since that column appeared, he goes on to say, any number of folks, some of them with significant and deserved reputations for brilliance and integrity, and some of these friends, and, and some of these friends have argued that the premise of saving the court from its inevitable hard left lurch under Clinton is not reason enough to support Trump. I had two hashtag never Trumpers on my radio show to discuss this ongoing debate. The first national reviews, Charles C.W. Cook, who is a wet never Trump. He might yet support the GOP nominee. He said he can't yet vote because he's not a citizen until next year. Professor Tom Nichols of the Naval War College is, by contrast, a never, ever, never, ever, ever, never Trumper. That's because Nichols isn't a Trump could start a nuclear war camp. By the way, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. The way he's run his business, um, I, I simply don't believe it. It doesn't translate to reality for me. So he goes on to say, if I thought Donald Trump would start a nuclear war or any sort of war in a fit of peak, I would be hashtag never Trump too. But I don't, so I'm not. I think it would help Trump to curb this particular line of attack to name a Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, and National Security Advisor. My colleague Robert O'Brien has written on this subject. Such an action is not illegal, despite what some have argued about the applicability of an old statute intended to halt trading jobs for political support. But most of the Supreme Court doesn't do it for me. Trump opponents don't use the nuclear war looms argument. Rather, most of the critics of the Save the Supreme Court argument avoid dealing with the argument by stating flatly that you can't trust Trump to follow through and select nominees to the Supreme Court from the list of 11 potential nominees Trump provided this spring. They argue that Trump nominees might be as bad as Clinton nominees, to which I respond, this is you who it, not me. First, you don't really believe that, do you? And second, and more to your stated objection, you don't have to trust him. If he breaks from that list, the GOP-led Senate will be well within its rights to refuse to consider the nominee, given how central that pledge was to the campaign. The court will remain at its 4-3-1 semi-static position, but will not veer off the living Constitution cliff. Now, I talked to him and tried to get him to come on this show, uh, but he couldn't. He's just, he's so swamped, guys. He's a busy, busy man, Hugh Hewitt. And, um, but he, he'll be on here at some point. He was not opposed to it. So I'll be glad to have him. I have a lot of respect for him. We don't agree on everything, but this is the deal here. Look, the Senate, the GOP-led Senate, they'll just simply say, eh, pick another, eh, pick another. That's that's the reality. Others save the back to Hugh Hewitt. Others save the court rejectionists simply avert their eyes from how bad a hard left Supreme Court would be. Even some originalists who have long defended the necessity of a Supreme Court tethered to the original design of the Constitution have found reasons to shrug their shoulders and say, we can live with a couple of Clinton appointees. The easy abandonment of these lifelong positions has been, well, stunning. If a hard left Supreme Court isn't that bad after all, what have we been fighting for? Why the upset over the court-ordered same-sex marriage, to cite just one example, if we are willing to turn the Supreme Court into an assembly line of such decrees? Now, he brings up a very good point. He had a conversation with Professor Nichols, and in that conversation, he pointed out to Governor Jerry Brown's three appointees to the California Supreme Court and suggested quite plausibly that these are the sort of lawyers Secretary Clinton will nominate to join the Supreme Court if she becomes President Clinton. All three had been very highly credentialed academics when elevated, and all three know very little of the world of actual law firm law. They're, 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 they're uh, geeks. They're, they're not actual lawyers. I mean, they have a law degree, but they're not, they don't practice law. 
All three are very, very liberal. All three would be on Clinton's very short list. One was rejected by the Senate for a federal circuit court position already, but they'll be back because their re resume has been burnished now by years on the Golden State's highest court. So you can count on the hard left activist law, hard left activist lawyer that is Secretary Clinton at her core to nominate such jurists as California Supreme Court Justices Goodwin Liu, Mariano Florentino Cuellar, and Leandra Kruger. Yeah, I said it. What will even what will even one such appointee, much less two or three, mean? Again, I refer you to that interview. You can go look up Hugh Hewitt and you can see it there. Welcome to Red Fox Radio. Thank you for joining us. With hardly any effort at all, I summed up a dozen major cases where the switch on the court from 441 to 531 would be disastrous, beginning with Michigan v. Environmental Protection Agency, which was last year's court ruling that reined in the EPA from imposing massive costs on the states without proper rulemaking procedure and oversight, and the Rapanos decision of 2006, which only gently and barely rebuked the Army Corps of Engineers from playing havoc with property rights. And listen, folks, if you don't think this is happening, Lavoie Finnicum, Ryan Bundy, Ammon Bundy, you don't think, you don't think they're, listen, I did a whole show. I did a whole show, couple shows even. It's in the archives at the ninjapastor.com or drshongreener.com. It's all there. By the way, we've we've done some work on our website. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff there. Please, if you like what we do, go and comment. Go and comment. Don't be don't be quiet. Comments make a difference. Comments make a difference on this. Um, yeah, yeah. You made a live show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad you're joining us. It's an honor to have you. If you don't think they're abusing, look, the EPA. This was a this was a no brainer for them. They said, hey. We can use the EPA. We can bully people. It's what they did there. It's what they're doing all over the country. So anyway, Hugh Hewitt brought up Gonzalez v. Carhartt, a 2003 5-4 decision that upheld the federal partial birth abortion ban. Now, the fact that we're even having this conversation about partial birth abortion, you understand what that is. Okay, I did a show on that as well. It's very, very very awful. And I'll tell you this. It's, 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 it's so sickeningly inhumane. It's so demented. It's so deviant to even consider a partial birth abortion. But you can rest assured Clinton's appointee would surely vote to overturn the partial birth and partial birth abortion ban. That's where they let the baby be partially born, but they leave a little bit of the baby inside and then they they crack open the brain. They suck the brains out while the baby is alive. And oh, by the way. No painkiller. Because they don't believe in that. As long as the baby is still some inside. The mother. We can kill it. I would say you've got to be kidding me, but folks, this is how sick these people are. This is how sick Obama and Clinton pukes are. They both deserve to have their rear ends kicked up one side and down the other. They both, they both absolutely deserve to be beaten senseless. You say, well, that's the president of the United States. Anyone who supports this garish 
and inhumane and evil, evil. Partial birth, I, they they should be, and I'll tell you what, the doctors that do it, they should be drawn and quartered. It, listen, if this doesn't make you sick, go go to YouTube. Type in partial birth abortion. Watch it. You say, well, that's, you know, people get yelled at on Facebook because they'll put videos of, of these abortions and these partial birth abortions, and people will say, oh, that's, this is no place for that. Well, where is the place for it? Because those are innocent babies. Last time I checked, they didn't cause them to be there. The actions of two human beings caused them to be there. Well, in the instances of, of, uh, of uh, risk to the mother, it's not even four-tenths of one percent that that's the case ever. And even then, a lot of that is pretty circumspect data. Again, the professor was unmoved, so he referenced this term. Uh, this term is U.S. v. Texas, where a 4-4 split at the Supreme Court of the United States left President Obama's massive unilateralism on immigration stymied. District of Columbia v. Heller decision, 2008. McDonald v. City of Chicago in 2010. And then the First Amendment saved by the 5-4 bell of Citizens United in 2010. All four of these cases governing immigration, guns, and speech would have gone the other way with a Clinton appointee confirmed. Immigration would essentially be governed by the President of the United States. Second Amendment rights would go out the door. First Amendment rights, speech rights of the non-favored, non-elites, they would follow. But this professor stood fast. So he asked, you, he would ask him if he was a person of faith, and he told me he was. So he noted the 5-4 decision in 2015's Hobby Lobby protects religious freedom in the United States by the narrowest of threads. Saving religious liberty in the Hobby Lobby case, it does not outweigh handing the country to a would-be authoritarian in Donald Trump, Professor Nichols responded. You cannot preserve one liberty by trading off all the other liberties. This is what he said. So he moved on, and he brought up the Prince case in 1997, which halted the impressment of state employees into the federal service. The Lopez decision, which overturned the Gun-Free School Zone Act in 1995. The United States v. Morrison case, a 2000 case overturning Violence Against Women Act. All three of those cases, defending the Tenth Amendment and structured federalism, were five, four cases, and all would have been wiped away. And they will be wiped away in a Clinton eye blink. You don't think they have a list of these? You don't think they're sitting around with a list? Oh, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. They're sitting around with a list of these decisions, and they say, hey, guess what? We're going to tackle these. We're going to tackle these. We're going to make these go away. We're going to win these. Oh, they thought it was over, but it wasn't over. So the very structure of the Constitution, not just the First Amendment and Second Amendment and the Tenth Amendment, but federalism and religious liberty, they all get swept away. Tom, if that if the court goes, I, he argued to the professor, and that's forever, and that's not for four years. It's forever. He ended his argument with Professor Nichols by pointing out that the Supreme Court has largely stayed out of political redistricting cases only by the narrowest of margins, that 5-4 vote again, and that with Clinton appointees, we can bet on GOP-supervised state redistricting plans being tossed left and right in 2022. With justices of the sort of Governor Brown has appointed in California, he, he, he would even expect some elegant rule to emerge that saves Democratic gerrymanders while the Republican ones get a vertical file. Yeah, he's a cynic about this, yes, but he's been teaching constitutional law for 20 years. He knows how the left plays it. Professor Nichols was unmoved. 
So, so that's how it is with the never Trump folks. Look, I have good friends. I'm telling you right now, I have good friends who are never Trump people. I, I, I have also good friends who were never Cruz people. But both sides of the fence. But I've got to tell you, and this is reality, folks. This, this is just reality you've got to deal with. You point to the Supreme Court, and you give these people too much influence there, it's over. Because just like Black Lives Matter, they don't want equality. They want dominance. And they don't care what they got to do to get to get it. it. It doesn't matter to them. They have no interest in equality. LGBTQ, they don't have any interest in equality. Dominance. The liberal left, no interest in equality. Dominance. People say, well, the list that, um, you know, saving the Supreme Court isn't enough, the never Trump diehards. Look, I don't think those people really understand the cost of losing the court. I don't think they do. And I don't think they really believe that, that just as Hugh Hewitt says, I don't think that Donald Trump being president means Armageddon. Same thing they said about Reagan. No, there's not a comparison between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan to be drawn but they drew it. You understand. Look, I know that there's this whole list of, of prominent GOPers who have come out and said, hey, we can't have a President Trump. We think we'll go to nuclear war. Well, fair enough, but some of you people are the problem. I don't respect everybody on that list. Part of those people are the problem, not just because they're air quotes establishment, but because they're part of the problem. They, not, they may not be seen as part of the... Isn't it funny how Ted Cruz was seen as the outsider until they decided they were going to call him the establishment pick? You got to be kidding me, man. There's a lot of people who are labeled as establishment who are not. But I'm telling you right now, this is what we know. This is what we know. The certainty, and Hugh Hewitt says this well, but the certainty of what will happen to the Supreme Court should at least receive from then the left and the and the GOPers who say never Trump, an honest nod and accounting, not a deflection. And it ought to be a central argument in every debate about the choice that is ahead in the fall. It's not just about Clinton Trump. It is about the Supreme Court and who's really going to rule this country. It's people, or to borrow from Justice, now deceased Antonin Scalia, a majority of nine unelected judges. Man, do we miss him. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to pivot here a little bit. Kind of and not. It's not really a pivot, but I wanted to warn you because I want to catch you off guard. This is a blog post that sums up what some in the Christian community are saying. I hear this all the time. In fact, a good guy, uh, Doug, he's a friend of mine on, on the Facebook, and, and he's a great guy. He's a true patriot. He is a never Trumper, uh, absolutely never, 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 ever Trump, um, and that's that's his right. And I don't get in arguments with him about it. I just try to present what I see as the facts and and move forward from there. But in the Christian community, there's people in the air quotes Christian community are saying some things that uh, I just don't know. I I I I I, I question some things. 
Well, my my good friend Liz, uh, Liz and Charlie, they sent me a um, they they sent me a link to a blog post, and a friend had sent that to them, saying, "Well, if you just you know probably you just read this, you'll you'll see how you're you know voting for Hillary is fine." Now let me just say this: this woman that I'm going to read you this, this woman isn't saying she just can't vote for Trump. She's saying, "Hey, Hillary's not a bad girl, and I'm a Christian conservative." You know, hey, and and then let me also say this before I go into too much detail. She is a good, kind, nice lady. She does a lot for the world. She adopts um, underserved children, i.e. black or from other countries, uh, handicapped children. She does a lot with handicapped people. Um, she seems to be a very nice lady, very nice wife, very nice mother. So I can't argue with that. I'm not throwing rocks at that. But she she wrote this article from her kind, kind heart. I mean, can't we all agree? We all hate hate, right? Never hate. Hashtag never hate. Okay. So, um, and I'll give you her, I'll give you her name at the end, but I don't want to give her, I don't, I don't, you'll, you'll understand why. What concerns me most this election cycle, you might be surprised by the answer. Her first line, that's her title. Her first line is, hi, I'm a person. Now, anytime I read that, I feel like she's accusing me, uh, white, six foot, almost six, four, 250 pound. Uh, white male, I'm a marginalizer. I'm going to marginalize her. When you say, hi, I'm a person, you know, but then she follows it up. Despite what some commenters think, and she has four comments on this entire blog. Last time I checked, I don't know. She may have a, a hundred thousand now, but she had four. What some commenters think, I don't, I don't know who those people are. I'm not a paid Democrat operative. Despite their theories, I don't think so. My piece wasn't ghostwritten by Hillary's team. Nobody thought that, despite how some have argued and flooded me with links as if I didn't research my post. Nobody did. They aren't there. I watched and read extensively from varied sources in the hours it took to draft what I shared last weekend. One commenter wrote, if this is indeed a real person, she either is a flaming pro-abortionist or she is too busy with children to do much more than arrange sound bites from the liberal, dishonest media. Sigh. <sighs> I'm a person who spent a week on vacation and wrote a research paper on politics and pro-life ideology for fun. So, yes, I'm a nerd, but I'm still a person. No offense. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but it's just the, the level of lack of reality in, in this dear lady, uh, again, does a lot for the world. She cares for cares for uh, children and and just does some wonderful things. So. Not for nothing, but that, that's something that should be, uh, should be heralded. Anyway, I know we don't all agree. I never asked or demanded anyone else to share my views. Well, you kind of are. I was careful to express respect and care for those who hold other positions, even as I honestly expressed that I don't understand how Christians can support Trump. Well, somehow or another, she goes on to say why she is a Christian is supporting Hillary. This post, also lengthy, does an exceptional job of expanding upon that. Well, kudos to you. Busy mom, but plenty of time to pat yourself on the back. I don't think you should do it so fast. I don't agree with a couple of his points, but I think the biblical arguments are compelling. Now, the, the, the post that she was referring to is by Samuel Whitfield. Some of you might know who he is. He's a pastor. He's a professional speaker. He's a writer. Um, he's the blogger 
to whom this dear lady is referring. Now, I'm going to give you some background on, because you got to understand this, this is all a piece of puzzle. Samuel Whitefield, I said Whitefield, but it's Whitefield, is a preacher, teacher, and writer. He is part of the senior leadership team at the International House of Prayer, um, IHOP, Kansas City, and part of the facility of the International House of Prayer University, IHOP you. He is, <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't. It's too easy. He is also the director of One King, a ministry which helps connect the global church to God's plan for Israel and the nations. His passion is to declare the beauty of Yeshua, what well, he says Jesus, until he is loved and adored on earth as he is in heaven. Matthew 6.10, Revelation 5.13. Now he goes on to say, she goes on to say, uh, or he goes on to say, I'm going to give you a snippet of his, his thing so you'll understand where we're coming from. His article is also extremely long and very flawed. So for context, I will hit on some of the points that this uh, young lady is referring to readers to. This is me talking. He, he says, I don't usually address politics, which is a lie because I've read almost everything that I could read before vomiting of his stuff. And it's very political. It's very postmodern emergent church, which you guys know, not a huge fan. But there's a deeper issue at stake this year, which we must wrestle with because we care first about the church and secondly about the nation. My heart is broken over it. And I don't know if he actually talks like this, but oh well. And I want to invite you into my grief for the sake of the church and for the gospel. Because this is why most pastors with skinny jeans, I saw pictures of him, he's wearing skinny jeans and hip trendy cool shirt and, you know, good haircut and all that stuff. I mean, okay. This is an unusually long article, but I believe the critical nature of the hour demands careful thought and reflection. The 2016 election has exposed fault lines in the nation and in the church in a way that no other election in recent history has. Well, I'll agree with him there. In the midst of all the confusion and rhetoric, it is time for the church to find her voice and rediscover her identity as a called out people, sanctified, separate and sanctified, who find their ultimate hope in another kingdom and another king and represent the values of that king in the public square. Are you with me so far? For the church to recover her calling, we're going to have to break free. Ugh, it's, it just grates me to read this. I'll try again. For the church to recover her calling, we're going to have to break free of certain political bonds that have held us for quite some time. If the evangelical church does not wrestle through her current entanglement with politics, and more often than not, Republican politics, come on, stab me in the chest, dude, then I fear the church will lose her credibility. It already has her ability to be a prophetic voice to the culture and the government on a wider sphere. It's become clear that the phenomenon of Donald Trump is going to force that issue in the selection. Now, let me unpack that for you. There's a lot of super liberal, postmodern, emergent church crap just piled into there from this writer, pastor, International House of Prayer, I hop you, uh, preacher. Great. He loves to write. This article is like 9,000 words. It's, it's, it's not that long, but it is really, really long, but it's on his blog. Nobody has to read it if they don't want to. I felt like I had to read the whole thing. I'm not going to subject you to it because it's really, really crap for the church to recover her calling. Okay. What happened to the calling? What happened to the church's calling folks? I'll tell you what happened to it. The black robe regiment became the pink and, and pastel regiment wearing skinny jeans and having uh, a five-day growth on your beard and hip trendy cool glasses and hip trendy cool expensive haircuts and and you know 
shirt untucked and, you know, uh, false humility, bull crap, and then sermons that, that are sermons of nothing. They're just nothing. They're just stories. They tell stories to make people feel better about themselves. And oh, by the way, everything is designed. I write about this in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I call these people out. Look, these people were wimps. I, I've been to many, many, many Christian schools all across the country. And they have the most effeminate males, both as teachers and as students, I've ever seen. Many of them are pastors, kids. I don't know how it happened. I do not know how it happened. These are effeminate, weak, whiny, crybaby. They hold hands. Well, men in other societies do it. In India, men hold hands. I don't care. We're not in India. And 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 homosexuality in India is rampant. So don't tell me that's like such don't they're not what you really want to hold up as the example. I'm just saying. These are very effeminate boys, and they become very effeminate young men, and then they become very effeminate pseudo-men. They become very effeminate, weak, whiny husbands, and they become very effeminate, weak, and whiny pastors. So these, this whole crew of pastors who are afraid of standing up for something, so they fall for everything, they purse their lips, and they say, well, I'm... I'm just, I feel very strongly that we, we as pastors need to love and we need to be representation of God to his people. And we need to stay out of these things because really church and politics, you know, as the constitution says, separation of the church and state. Well, a idiots, it doesn't say that just like the Bible doesn't say nine tenths of what you say to your hip trendy and cool, but hungry congregation every Sunday through your fog and your special lights and your super hip, trendy, cool, loud music, and you're going to tell me that you're telling them what the truth is? I don't think so. I don't think so. So you're part of the problem, hip, trendy, and cool. So for the church to recover her calling, we're going to have to break free of certain political bonds that have held us for some time? What bond is that? The bond to not say anything from the pulpit, wimpy pastors? Your, your skinny jeans are too tight? So, you, you, you know, everything's bound up so you don't have the cojones to step up and say something that needs to be said from the pulpit. You don't have the cojones to stand up and say to your congregation, listen, the Bible says abortion is murder. The Bible says uh, homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says, uh, you know, I, I'm wrong. It, I, I've done so many wrong things. Look, folks, I'm not sitting here telling you I'm perfect. That's how they get you. They say, oh, you think you're perfect? Well, let me expose what you've done. Listen, to, I'm telling you right now, I don't think I'm perfect. I know I'm not. I'll save you the research. I'm not. But that doesn't mean we, we recreate God in our own image and, and come out and say that somehow or another God doesn't say what he said. He says what he says. It's Do we apply the same principle to the Quran and we say, no, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does say that. So this guy wants to disconnect from politics because it's dirty business. It's dirty business. He goes on to say, to become the prophetic voice the church is intended to be will cost us far more than we think. It is going to be more painful than we think to abandon our fixation with political solutions. I'll, I'll join you there, my brother. I'll join you there. Yeah, because the show a couple weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, where I gave you the definitions of politics and centralized government and governance and civic duty, civic responsibility, social contracts, 
uh, civic authority, self-government, separation of powers, executive power, legislative power, judicial power, political power. Where does power originate? Where is power harnessed? Where does power reside? Power, right, liberty, freedom, non-delegation of control doctrine, state government, confederation. What does it mean? Outside game, captive citizens, inside game. Centerforselfgovernance.com. I told you, I told you, I said to you, listen, we've got to get plugged in or we are going to be run over. My friends, I'm, I am here to tell you, this guy is not much different than, than, than the other hip, trendy, cool, postmodern, emergent church people out there who claim to be Christians. We've got to abandon our fixation with political solutions, buddy. Politics are all up in the Bible. We've abandoned the political sphere, and that's why it belongs exclusively to the left and corrupt people from the right and a few good people. He goes on to say, we are used to political friendships, and we are used to a measure of respect from a system as a compliant and loyal voting bloc. Let me tell you this, mister. Mr. Skinny Jeans, Mr. You know, Two-Day Beard, Pursed Lips soft talker. I'm going to tell you something. That statement in and of itself, we are used to political friendships and we are used to a measure of respect from the system as a compliant, loyal voting bloc. Buddy, if you think that this political system has any respect for us, you need to stop sniffing glue. You picked a bad day to not quit sniffing glue then you need to stop using so much hairspray on your hair and hair products because it's getting to your brain. If you think that they think anything of us, then you're a fool. Millions upon millions of alleged Christians stayed home in both elections that put Barack Hussein Obama in the White House. You're kidding yourself. He goes on to say, I want to reframe what is at stake in this election. There's something far bigger than economic policy at stake in 2016. It is the church's prophetic voice. He likes saying that. You keep using that phrase. I don't think you, I don't think you know what it means. I don't think it means what you say it means. Political issues are important, but there are also larger issues we need to address. The way we vote as individuals is a serious issue, but not the primary issue I want to address. I want to address the issue of the church's public posture towards a man who is the antithesis of biblical values and what it reveals about the condition of the church. Trump has repeatedly called for the support of evangelicals and thanked evangelicals for their support, which is also a subtle campaigning trick to woo undecided evangelicals. Newsflash, the left has done it all along. And it is something very serious when the rulers who represent the spirit of the, this age call on the church to mobilize on their behalf. The nation now, more than ever, needs a church who is not caught up in our nation's own desperate search for a political savior. We desperately need the prophetic lens of men like Isaiah and Jeremiah who were able to bring God's perspective in the middle of a national crisis. And with that in mind, let's address four key issues related to Trump and church. Now, let me go back just for a second because I'm about to lose my mind. The nation now more than ever needs a church who is not caught up in our nation's own desperate search for a political savior. Let me tell you something. That's a small S, pal. But the fact of the matter is, this nation has abandoned its search for all of eternity and all of history and all the people. Red, yellow, black, and white. Their savior. 
The nation has abandoned the search of Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The, the nation has said, you know what? We don't need you. We don't need you anymore. We're going to take you off of every school wall. We're going to take you out of every public vestige. We're going to take you anything that, that even remotely or could be misconstrued as being religious. We're going to remove it. And you know what? You bunch of skinny jeans wearing Christians with too much product in your hair and your soft pursed lips. Ooh, that's terrible. But we need to be fair. That's separation of church and state. You don't know anything about the founding of this country. You don't know anything about governance. You don't know anything about self-governance. Christians should be primarily involved in self-governance. It starts with where we are with ourselves and our creator, capital C. And then it goes on to how we live out our life. How, you know, we, we have opportunities to, to create an environment in which all faiths are safe. You know, this chick with the, with the saber, the Muslim with the saber, a little bit of an irony. You know they cut people's heads off, right? You know these people cut people's heads off. Isn't it something that she chose the saber? I'm just saying. So she could be safe. Poor thing. She doesn't feel safe. You know, Christians aren't running around cutting people's heads off. So, Mr. Safe in your church, guess, guess where the Muslims are going to go? And they're going to see your skinny jeans and your lots of product and your five-day growth of your beard and your hip, trendy, cool music and your people swaying and doing all your stuff and the little fog that goes on to add to the thing and all the cool lighting and the lasers and all this stuff for your church service. And you know what? They're going to shoot you up just like anybody else because church violence is on the rise. And you know who's causing that church violence? Muslims. The religious, political, and military ideology of Muslims, and they're coming for you. And while you're pursing your lips and wringing your hands, they're busy killing your people. Politics is the church. The church is politics. The church ought to get in it to win it. Four key issues, he says, Trump and the church. Some things are wrong. Each election inevitably ends up with a conversation about the lesser of two evils. And due to America's two-party system, I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but it's not really a two-party system. A conversation about how not voting for a certain candidate is, in fact, a vote for another more evil candidate. With While that logic seems more reasonable and has merit in some cases, there reaches a point where the argument breaks under the weight of the fact that some things are simply wrong. Yes, like this article. The fact that a candidate may be better on abortion does not then mean we overlook everything else a candidate stands for. Let me pause there. Let me just take a quick break. Let me just take a quick break here and tell you, you flaming idiot, I would punch you right in your face right now if you stood in front of me and you told me that abortion is somehow subordinate to something else, that killing innocent children that didn't do a thing wrong, while they may have been born of, of, a, of a, a union that was unintended, what well, was intended, hey, you don't accidentally, you know, fall in together. Whoops, whoops, sorry, I got you pregnant. Jeez. I'm really sorry about that. Well, what are we going to do? Let's go get an abortion. No, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. I'd punch you right in your face, buddy. You say, well, that's not right, threatening people. Really? Somebody needs, somebody needs to threaten somebody. And I'll tell you why. 
Somebody needs to stand up for dumb people, stand up to dumb people from a pulpit that say things like this. The fact that a candidate may be better on abortion does not then mean we overlook everything else. Listen, if you can't stand for life, my friend, then you don't stand for anything. If you don't have the cojones to stand up, I almost cussed there. If you don't have the cojones to stand up, if you don't have the intestinal fortitude to stand up for an innocent baby, then I don't trust you to protect your family. I don't trust you to protect your home, something Christians are bound by God to do. I don't trust you. You can't be trusted to make any decision because I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have the strength of, of humanity to look at abortion as a utter abomination on the face of this planet, you don't deserve to call yourself a pastor. The church is called to define righteousness for the culture, and when we promote men who are the exact opposite of biblical standard for righteousness, the church loses its prophetic voice. You keep saying that. I don't think you know what it means. Randy Alcorn says, wow. Quoting Randy Alcorn, now we know where you're coming from, says it best when he reflects on Trump's rise in fame and asks, do character, morality, and kindness still matter? Even Trump recognizes his values are not evangelical. You know what? The thief on the cross recognized that his values weren't evangelical. His bad values and his bad acts, you know what? They got him crucified on the cross next to Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. He was in the presence of one who could convert him to paradise for all eternity in spite of his sins. So we spend all this time as Christians, postmodern emergent Christians, the postmodern emergent church, and we say, well, we can't, Trump is, he's mean. He's mean and he uses bad words. And you know what? He's been married more than once. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you, um, he says a lot of mean things. Okay, so let's go on. Let's go on and say what this, this fella says, if I can get through it. Dang, I'm mad. Trump has repeatedly made disparaging and racist remarks toward minorities. Really? Disparaging and racist? Show me one. His narrative on illegal immigration immigration is replete with race baiting as he identifies Hispanic immigrants predominantly as rapists, criminals, and killers. Perhaps you should read. Perhaps you should listen. Because that's not what he said. He didn't say all Hispanics are mostly Hispanics, are rapists, criminals, and killers. What he said was, they don't, they do not send us their best. They don't send us their best. They're criminals, they're drug dealers, they're rapists, they're murderers. Do I think that at some point in time, an innocent person has crossed over the border illegally? You're not innocent when you know that it's illegal. That's why they hide. That's why they sneak. But you know you're, you're violating a law. You're violating the sovereignty of our nation. And as Trump and as I have said and many others have said, if you don't have borders, you do not have a country. Folks, that issue alone, illegal immigration, illegal immigration, immigration, has siphoned off trillions of dollars from this country. Trillions of dollars. So perhaps you should read the facts. 
Perhaps you should read what he said. He doesn't say they're all that way. He doesn't say most of them that way. He said they don't send us. They're good people. They send us the bad. His posture towards other racial minorities is equally disturbing. Tell me about what that is. Tell me about what that is. Has he talked about black people? Because I don't think so. Has he spoken out about, against Black Lives Matter? Yep, you better believe it. You better believe it. He's a guy that's not afraid of a fight. Susan Collins says she doesn't like him because he doesn't play nice. Doesn't play nice. Senator Susan Collins, what is she, Maine? I think she's Maine. She, he doesn't play nice. Well, you know what? Neither does ISIS. Neither do the drug lords that are streaming across our poorest borders. His election rhetoric has been concerning, though. First of all, the word is not concerning. Everybody, please, for the love of all things holy, stop saying this is very concerning. It's not correct. It's disconcerting. Not concerning. Stop saying that. It's dumb. We're, the, the etymology of the word has been changed to be wrong. It's wrong. It's disconcerting. But his business history seems to reveal years of outright prejudice against African Americans. My friends, that is a flat out lie. That is a flat out lie. Look, he doesn't need me to be an apologist for him. Trump doesn't need me to be an apologist for him. I'm not a team Trump guy, but I'm a team America guy. He's our guy. He's the guy who won. He, he beat out what? 900 other contestants, nine other, 900 other candidates. He beat them out. He, 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 he broke all kinds of records. In the process, you've got to be kidding me. He's our guy. He beat everybody. But I'll tell you what he hasn't done. He hasn't said all Hispanics are rapists, criminals, and killers. He hasn't said Muslims are, are all murderers. And, and his business history doesn't reveal anything of the sort, outright prejudice against African Americans. Black people who have worked for Donald Trump love him. They love him. This pastor, who I'm about to split my skull open, the white ranks of the evangelical church have traditionally shied away from racial issues. But as long as the church cannot find its voice on justice issues, we're revealing the shallowness of our gospel. Abortion and marriage are critical issues, but th these other issues are serious as well. And the Bible repeatedly addresses social issues. This is an area where the white evangelical church is behind the times. And now is the time to begin to recover ground lost on this issue. It is a gospel issue. Brother, I don't think you know what the gospel is. You wouldn't know the gospel if it smacked you in your face. The white ranks of the evangelical church. That's you, my brother. You're the white. I'm blacker than any black person's ever come to your church. So don't give me this crap about the white ranks. Oh, generalize much of the evangelical church have traditionally shied away from racial issues. No, I don't think, I don't think the white ranks have shied away from it all. Because you know what? I've been to churches all up and down the South. And you know what? I've been to so, uh, Southern Baptist churches. I've been to Pentecostal churches. I have been to Lutheran churches. I've preached in all kinds of churches. I've spoken as a special guest in all kinds of churches. And I'm telling you right now, I don't want to hear it anymore about white Christians are racists because we don't want to talk about that because we're embarrassed. You know what? If you're still embarrassed about slavery, let me tell you something. You need to grow a pair because you didn't have, if you're alive right now and you haven't ever been a, a racist to people, 
uh, of any other color, not just black people, but any other color, if you've treated people fairly and righteously, you have nothing to be ashamed of. And you know what, church? Let me tell you something, folks. The Democrats brought on the KKK. The Democrats fought the Equal Rights Amendment. The Republicans fought the KKK. The Republicans got the Equal Rights Amendment passed. He says so flippantly, abortion and marriage are critical issues, but these are, there are other issues, serious, other serious, well, serious, and the Bible repeatedly addresses it. And so the white evangelical church, we're behind the times. We got to recover ground. This guy's got the thing. It's a gospel issue. Trump has openly bragged about his adulterous affairs and sexual conquests. No other presidential candidate has ever been such a bold proponent of adultery. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't think he's been a proponent of adultery. I'm not going to defend anything. Look, I'm in no place to ever say anything about anybody else's stand where they are. That's between him and God. But I can tell you, based on what I've seen, I don't see that. How about Bill Clinton? How about Bill Clinton? He's been so base as to suggest that his daughter is fit to pose for Playboy. And if, it was not her, if he was not his father, he'd be dating her. Well, first of all, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. Did I, do I think he went near the third rail of just a little bit creepy by saying what he did say? Yes. But if you take it in context, no. I get what he was saying. Do I agree? His daughter is gorgeous. She's a beautiful human being. But you know what? He wasn't saying he had sexual desire toward her. Don't be stupid. Skinny jeans wearer. He's even asked others if he thought she was hot. When his second daughter was a year old, he was already making comments about her body. His overall attitude towards women is highly sexual, misogynistic, and deplorable. Well, I'm I'm sorry to tell you. Now this is this is the this is the, the reason I'm reading this is because this is what this woman, very nice lady, lots of uh, handicapped kids. She's adopted a bunch of kids, black kids, white kids, all kinds of kids, severely handicapped kids. Takes real good care of them. Uh, is a real advocate for them. Amen for you. You're awesome, but you're dumb. He openly evaluates women according to their bodies and repeated express, repeatedly expressed willingness to sleep with other women, including married women. When asked if he would leave his current wife if she were involved in an accident, Trump's response was, depending on what happened to her breasts, Trump may have promoted a few women in his business. A few? Come on. Don't be stupid, pal. You, you can read the truth or you can hide in lies because every woman that works for the man says, I've never had a better boss. I've never been treated with Karen Vaughn. Karen Vaughn, Gold Star Mom, Aaron Carson Vaughn. Uh, Aaron was uh, a DevGrew uh, Gold Team guy, was killed August 6th, uh, several years ago in Extortion 17. Karen actually met with the man, spent an afternoon with him, uh, no cameras, no nothing. She said she's never been treated with more respect. She's never been treated. And every woman in there said the same thing. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to just tell you. The next thing he says has been soundly and roundly debunked. He mocked the disabled. He ridiculed a disabled veteran because he was captured, and Trump likes those who aren't captured. Take it in context. What he was saying, again, a third rail, he was talking about the esteemed senator who I cannot stand, and I hope he gets his butt kicked by the challenger. He's getting primaried and well-deserved. He needs to be out of government. The guy was captured, I think it was five years, his POW. Um, they keep, you know, bringing up the same thing. Look, he got shot down because he was doing the wrong things. He caused the forest all fire and killed people because he was doing the wrong things, which he always did. 
He flew drunk, you know, um, look, I can't stand the guy. I'm not even going to say his name. I, I just can't stand him. I can't stand the guy. He claims to be for the military. No, he's not for the military. And you know what? He got shot down because he was doing the wrong thing. And the next thing is they make him a big hero because he would not. Uh, they, they found out that he was the son of a big admiral. And uh, I'll say his name, John McCain, if you're wondering. Well, who's he talking about? Big admiral. They said, okay, we'll let you go home. You just do this video. We'll let you go home. No problem. And you know what? Let me tell you something. The man said, no, I can't do that. Well, the people that were imprisoned with him don't have a lot of good to say about John McCain. That's number one. No one that ever served with John McCain has anything good to say about John McCain. Now, he was a prisoner of war, and, and, and he was returned. But as an officer, the ranking officer lets all subordinates go. He will not proceed in release as a prisoner of war. He had no choice in the matter. Now, great that he said it. He could have done it. It's probably the first honorable thing he's done in his whole life. I can't stand the guy. He's a disgusting human being, not because he got shot down. Look, Trump should have never ventured into that. But one thing I know about Trump is he says what he thinks. You know what? Obama, Clinton, they don't say what they think until they have the majority. Let me see who that reminds me of. Muslims, the religious, political, and military ideology of Muslims. Until they, through religious and political power, gain a majority, that's when you hear the truth of them. He says this is just a tip of the iceberg. A simple look at Trump's media reveals a disdain for both decency and virtually everything Christians would call biblical values. You know what? The, the thief on the cross, he didn't have any biblical values. He did not have biblical values. He knew, he knew only one thing. The man next to him was and is the Messiah. I can throw rocks at Donald Trump. I, I can tell you, I don't think he's done more bad than I have in my life, but I guarantee he's done more good. That's just a fact, folks. Look, I'm not, I'm not so stupid as to look at myself and, and say, uh, it's Whitefield. Uh, Steve from Ohio is asking, what's the pastor's name? It's, it's Whitefield. I'm not, I'm not so stupid to look at myself and think that somehow or another, um, I'm, I've done better than Donald Trump. Looking at his life, come on, folks. You can't look at his life and see the tens of thousands of people who, and I know personal stories, personal stories through in, internal connections of things that he's done for people that no one would ever know. He's changed lives. He's saved lives. This this preacher says Trump's campaign, which reflects the philosophy of his books, has been filled with arrogance, intimidation, threatening, name calling, and bullying. Oh, well, go get your pink anti-bullying shirt. Go put that on; it'll make it better. Oh, did you hear your feelings? Oh, Trump, hurt your feelings. Well, maybe if he goes and talks nice to the Islamic people with the big blades and the guns and the twucks and the whoops. Maybe if he goes and talks nice to them or you go for him, I'll tell you what, you go for him and you tell him you're a hip, trendy, cool pastor in a postmodern emergent church who likes to write and you just tell him, you just tell him 
We want to be your friends. We don't want any more bullying and name calling or arrogance or intimidate. We don't want that. No threatening. Let me tell you something, folks. If we're to defeat ISIS, if we're to defeat the people that are doing these things to us unabated, we need a bad dude at the helm. We need somebody who is going to say, oh, yeah, and then drop some bombs, drop some, drop some, uh, drop some, some uh, hardcore ordnance. Light some folks up. You know, uh, I, I want to address this. He doesn't address this in here. Talk about killing the family of terrorists and, and blowing up their houses. Israelis used to do that. When a, when a, when a air quotes, Palestinian comes in and uh, they commit a terrorist act, they catch them and kill them. They also blow up their house. And if their families, they warn them first, get out. Go find your way. Let your Palestinian brothers and sisters, you let them just go ahead and help you out. You let them feed you because we're done helping you. We've done all we're going to do. We've done all we're going to do. So you let them help you out because we're bombing your house. You got you got an hour. Grab your crap because we're going to blow your house up. And that's what they do. And they, and they get reamed for doing that. They get told that they're awful, that they're evil, that it's a bridge too far, and all that stuff. But you know what? That's a biblical, that's a biblical thing. And you know what? If you think they're family, Hillary Clinton had uh, what Omar Mateen's father behind her in a political appearance down in Florida. You know who Omar Mateen is? He's the guy who killed all the gay people, shot him up, forty nine people, and and a hundred and some injured. If you believe. All of that. That's the father of them, who is direct ties to Muslim Brotherhood, who has been so anti-American. He's sitting, and it's on video, folks. And the and the and the Clinton campaign says, "We knew nothing about this. We we didn't know, really, because nobody that stands that close to a presidential candidate, former first lady, and former Secretary of State." with Secret Service protection, doesn't stand there without the knowledge of the Secret Service. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Stop stiff and glue. Some people are attracted to this thinking and what it takes to fix things. Forgetting the same people who celebrate as bullying now may very well become victims of it in the future. Really? Because all the people that say, hey, let's do away, separating the church and state, let's be, let's be, really fair to everybody. Let's really be fair to everybody. Um, let's just go ahead and take any mention of church out. Let's just take it out. Let's do it. Yeah, we want to be fair. We don't want to push a certain religion, separation of church and state. It's in the Constitution. It's not, but they say that, and then nobody stops them. Many supporting Trump have criticized Obama's use of executive order, but Trump's entire campaign is an executive order. That is the most idiotic statement I have ever heard. Campaign Campaigners for president don't make executive orders. They have no power to do that. You're an idiot. Change your hairspray because it's making you sick and hurting your brain. He speaks like a dictator because Trump's platform is not ideology. He is his own platform. Christians who argue that sometimes it takes a personality like Trump's to tell it like it is or get things done should remember that in the Bible, every time the Lord uses someone like Trump to fix a nation, it is a judgment on that nation. Let me, let me just ask you to go back and read your Bible, freak of nature. Go back and read your Bible. Read your Bible, dude. Read it all. Read, read the Old Testament. Read it front to back. 
and tell me that that statement you just made is not the most idiotic, poorly informed, or just plain misleading, intentionally misleading America. Well, America doesn't read this guy's stuff, but whatever. Just 20 years ago, evangelical leaders were calling for the resignation of Bill Clinton because of an alleged secret affair. Okay, first of all, dude, grow a set. It wasn't an alleged secret affair. Everybody in the world but you apparently know that it was, in fact, an affair. Making the claim that Clinton was no longer fit for office because of his indiscretion. Now we have evangelical leaders campaigning for a man that openly brags of far more. Trump makes the Monica Lewinsky scandal look like a non-issue. We cannot be a voice to the culture with this kind of hypocrisy. Well, why don't we vote for Clinton then? We have to ask why so many Christians argued adultery disqualified, uh, uh, adultery qualified Clinton to be removed from the presidency, but not does not affect Trump's qualification. The answer may be uncomfortable, but if the the but it. The it I think he wants to say it is the question that must be asked. Could it be that we condemned Clinton because he was a Democrat and we are willing to overlook Trump's sins because he's a Republican? Okay. I'm telling you, it's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm not in the room with this guy because I I I, I just would just shake. I would have to walk away and and get like an Arctic freeze uh, and cool off because I'm telling you right now, the guy's an idiot. He contradicts himself every step of the way. Some argue that Trump may will be better for the Supreme Court, but are, I can't even read this. Some may argue that Trump will be better for the Supreme Court, but are a few Supreme Court judges worth our integrity? Boom! There we have it. A guy who does not know... He does not know anything about what happens. This guy's name is Samuel Whitefield. Samuel Whitefield. Just so you know. Now, <clears throat> I, I'm going to say this because it has to be said. This guy has not a clue, not even a tiny, tiny clue. Would the ancient prophets have held back their rebukes to get a few political appointments? Or would they have considered that selling out equal to selling a birthright for a pot of soup? Ever hear Saul? Ever hear a David? Dude? Are we willing to trade our integrity by supporting a man who promotes, promotes wickedness in the hope that he will appoint better judges? If so, we should remember that Trump changes positions rapidly. There's no guarantees Trump will actually appoint the kind of judges they're hoping for. Folks, there's a reason why I read what I read, read before from Hugh Hewitt. Some will raise the issue of abortion and its seriousness. From heaven's perspective, the bloodshed of abortion is far beyond anything else, including radical Islamic terrorism. Yes, abortion is serious, but it does not mean that we promote wickedness in order to get a supposedly pro-life candidate who realistically will not change the status quo. Should we vote for anyone regardless of their character if they promise they were not pro-choice anymore? Some will say that God can use anyone and frequently uses people we wouldn't expect him to use, including wicked rulers. That is true, and the Bible repeatedly describes God's unusual orchestration of history. However, there are two key points we have to remember. The first is that over many decades, I've noticed that these kind of statements are much more frequently applied to Republican candidates than to Democrat candidates. If God is going to use someone, we at least expect to use someone we least expect. Why does that automatically mean Trump? Why could it not also mean that the Lord wants to use Clinton? Because she is Satan's spawn. That's why. 
As a church, we should refuse to entertain this kind of reasoning until we have much more robust view of God's sovereignty that extends beyond the Republican Party. <sighs> yeah, okay. So this guy, you get the point. This guy goes on to say that our gospel witness is at stake. It's a much bigger conversation. So he totally misuses scripture, Matthew 7, 16, Luke 6, 44, 1 Corinthians 5, 11. He, 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 he abuses scripture. He has no concept of Hebrew worldview at all, at all. Has no idea, has no idea. So this woman, who is this very nice lady, blogger, she... Um, she is citing this guy and, and, and saying, you know, that this is, this, this is where I'm getting this from. I agree with this guy. There's some, I agree with some, I don't, but you know, it's, he's down. We must understand the season of a nation. He says the season of a nation. Maybe we're just in this season. It's part of the season. We just let it happen. We abdicate because it's harder to, you know, hold my nose and vote for Trump. I bet you this guy's going to vote for Hillary Clinton. He says the church is the biggest issue in this election. Then why aren't you involved in the election? Wimp. Why don't you ever, why don't you ever get in the fight? Because you're too chicken to, you know what you want to do? You want to sit in your little office with your books around you. And you want to, you want to have people massage your ego and tell you you're great. And you don't want anybody to be mad at you. So you don't ever preach about the tough issues. You don't ever, you don't, you don't ever, ever, ever do that. And then you say that you have the unmitigated gall to say the church is the biggest issue in this election. Pal, you have no right to say that. You know why? Because you have hidden inside with your pen and your paper or your, your little computer and you're clicking away and you're telling me that this is the issue. He goes on to say, in the absence of a focus on the beauty of Jesus, the lesser of two evils, and anyone but Hillary arguments have created a context where most American Christianity is being fearfully motivated to remain essentially subservient to Republican politics. Brother, it has nothing to do with Republican politics. It has to do with the fall of a nation, and we are at the precipice. We're at the precipice. Then he goes on to say, now is the time for the church to essentially to break free of every political machine in order to become a prophetic voice to the nation. There he goes again saying that. I don't think that means what he thinks it means. Again, I will say this. I'm not an apologist for Donald Trump, not in the least. Anybody that knows me knows that's not the case. Anyway, back to this young lady. So she quotes that. I wanted you to get Samuel Whitfield. I wanted you to get his, uh, his deal. Uh, you know, who he is, and what he is. He's probably a very nice man. Uh, probably high five him. It would probably hurt his hand, but that's okay. But I never attacked anyone for holding a different, this is her. I'm going back to her. Uh, anyone holding a different conviction than I do. Meanwhile, my comment section, mercy. I usually police them. I didn't this time. Part of it was because I couldn't keep up with each one. Well, I went back and looked at your blog post and I don't see people flooding you. So, okay. All right busy girl. But part of it is that I think we all need to be heard. So I was more lenient than usual. I think I erred on the side of grace, maybe too much. So I allowed people to question my integrity and faith and intellect without shutting that down. Really? You don't want to hear what people think. Why do you have a blog? Oh, you want them to hear what you think. Very leftist. I think very, very leftist. You want them to hear what you think, but you don't 
want to hear what they think of what you think. When I felt like someone was harsh to to a close friend in the comments, though, I jumped in to protect her and stop it immediately. Really? Okay. Well, it is your blog. You can put anything on there you want. I don't knock you for that. When it came to me, I wasn't as protective. Well, you are a hero. I'm going to need to spend a while processing what that means. I know this, though. I'm going, I'm learning to value myself as much as I value others. Well, that's good. I'm definitely not there yet. Well, eh. My wrist might be branded with the word enough, but my heart doesn't always believe it. Well, you are a giver. She does have a bunch of kids. Her and her husband have a bunch of kids from all different races, and, and some are severely handicapped, and God bless you. That is a wonderful thing, and I mean that. As a result, I stood by tolerating more heartless and unkind comments directed at me than I should have allowed. I've always tried to make others comfortable, sometimes with severe consequences to my health and safety. Well, a little bit boohooey there, but whatever. A little self, little self, uh, little hand clap on your back. Well, good for you. Anyway, she has a therapist, and her therapist said, you've always limited your children's contact with him. Um, it seems like you're stand, starting to value your own safety and protection as much as you value theirs. This is earlier this year. I have stopped having any contact with someone who has persistently and at times violently abused me throughout my entire life. Well, okay. And this, this was the, so, okay. She's in, she's in therapy. That's, that's good. And, and so she goes on to say a lot of things here. Um, and she posits herself to be somehow a conservative and a Christian. And she says, my Bible also says I'm to show honor and offer prayers to governing authorities. I don't think any of us has done that well, honestly. I watched as some criticized the humanity and not just the policies of George W. Bush while his supporters cried foul. And then I watched those crying foul did the same thing to Barack Obama while those who have been cruel before chastised the people now occupying their still warm spots in the cheap seats. Pot, meat, kettle. Both sides stand guilty here. Nah, I think it's a little different. We can't spend an entire election cycle dehumanizing the other side, and then if our candidate loses, treat the new leader as the person worthy of respect. Our brains and emotions don't work that way. If we are called to show deference to those in authority, then we have to start when they are running for office. We can't throw around disparaging words like Hillary or Trump and then respect President Clinton uh, or President Trump. Now, let me let me forge ahead. This week, I learned that some of my friendships were conditional. Some I, who I've laughed with and prayed with and cried with and worshiped with turned from me because I said I was voting for Hillary as an expression of my pro-life beliefs. You heard me right. As an expression of my pro-life beliefs, this is the woman who thinks that babies should be killed outside the womb. Okay. Hurtful comments from strangers didn't pay me, but slander and abandonment and unfriending from those who I love and who I thought loved me, that stung. I'm a person. So are you. So is Hillary. So is Trump. Hillary, not so much. So each of the third, so are each of the third-party candidates. So are Republicans. So are Democrats. So are Independents. So are those who vote for either major candidate. So are those who vote third party. So are those who don't vote. So are those who agree with you. So are those who don't. I'm not concerned about if you're Team Hillary 2016 like me or Team Trump 2016, as I am aware, as I am that we're all Team Humanity. Let's disagree with policies and politics and, and positions, not with people. And if I resolve to do this, and you do, and so on, then I think we can change our political climate for the better. We can do this. I'm sure of it. Who's with me? Okay. Whatever. Okay. My good friend and crack researcher for the show wrote, I've read half the blog article. I'll have to settle my stomach to read the rest. Why is it that ultra-flaming liberals think that if they just say over and over that they're Republicans, we're supposed to, and at this point, the crack researcher had to leave the room, you know why, to spew. 
My good buddy Dave P. wrote this in response. I sent him the article. I don't have to read deep into this blog to get a sense that this is a partisan piece. I do not know Shannon. As an uh, impartial observer, Shannon Dingle is her name. As an impartial observer, there are some big reaches here. My gut says she's simply projecting is not pro-life um, and has an axe to grind. She is supporting Hillary Rodham Clinton for Barack Hussein Obama's third term. May I rightly assume Hillary will continue Obama's policies that provide tacit endorsement of vivisecting babies in the womb and selling their parts to researchers, denying care to babies who survived abortions and late-term abortions? Is there an ounce of humanity in these practices for pro-life person to em embrace? If so, explain to me how Hillary is a choice for a pro-life person. Shannon sounds like she needs to do some thinking or needs to come clean on who's paying her for her blog post. The net outcome will always be Supreme Court of the United States appointments. So who's more likely to make pro-life appointments that will enshrine for decades more Sanger-inspired eugenics and slaughter of primarily minority babies? Based on this endorsement, Shannon and by extension Hillary appear to be racist. I believe Shannon has some soul searching to do. My friend Jerry, three minutes ago, friend Jerry from Pennsylvania, he responded to this blog post this way. A person like this has made up his or her mind and is probably not going to be convinced. He doesn't see Hillary as the evil incarnate she is. Again, it's a she, by the way. Again, confusing ideology and intentions over results. Trump is not an ideologue. He doesn't think in terms of biblically-based issues. Maybe he'll get more into this as he listens to his new spiritual mentors. He thinks in terms of problems to be solved and quickly, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Trump is the people's candidate, most of which who are moral, freedom-loving, responsible people in the country. Hillary leads a collection of extremists protecting Planned Parenthood, Black Lives Matter, chaos creators, and self-described victims. She is the leader of the culture of death, universal abortion, euthanasia, population control, Muslim terrorist advocate, champion, and founder. She is the creator of ISIS. She worships the creation rather than the creator, global warming. She is for tyranny and total control and in the same camp as the major murderers in history, Hitler, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Lenin, Stalin, Hillary is anti-family as uh, a God-ordained institution. Trump is a builder of structures that cater to the caring of people in 20 countries and sees his family as a great achievement. Now, folks, I'm, I'm going to tell you these were some sage comments. And these were all the truth. They were excellent comments. I have the smartest audience in the world. And I appreciate them taking the time to do that. I appreciate you today taking the time to listen to me. If it means anything to you, go to uh, theninjapastor.com, go to the blog and, and um, write some comments, comment on Facebook, comment on Twitter, comment here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, that's what makes a difference. I, I, I don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to have longevity in this, but I can tell you this. One thing a single publicist has told me the same thing. You got to have shares. You got to have likes. You got to have comments. And that's just a fact of the game. I don't have sponsors. So this is how we keep it going. Thank you for joining me today. Listen, I appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate you joining us in chat and those of you around the world, especially our military members. Thank God for you. We have your back. Don't think we don't, not for a minute. And to our gold stars, God bless. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics.
And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the ninja pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.